Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Morning, if you are visiting with us today, you will notice that we have our uh, communion uh, trays in front of me today. And uh, every other month at our church, uh, approximately, we uh, share communion during the morning service or sometimes on Good Friday and other uh, special occasions. And I just want you to know, as we're going to have a, a short message, a uh, shorter message, and then we'll have a time of sharing the elements together, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, you are welcome to join us uh, in sharing in communion today. You do not need to be a member of our church. Um, this is for those who know Christ as Savior. And so I just want you to know that as we come to this uh, time in our service. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, as we open your word for these few moments, we pray that uh, our hearts would be attentive to your word, we would listen to your word, and uh, Lord, uh, that we would know you better and, and walk with you because of having shared in your word and in sharing in this communion service to get today as we recognize once again the price that was paid for our salvation. And we pray this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. The Apostle Paul uh, begins his epistles uh, with a uh, customary uh, greeting, grace and peace. Grace and peace to you at Rome. Grace and peace to you at Ephesus. Grace and peace to the Colossians and the Philippians, the Thessalonians and Corinthians. Grace and peace. These two words are so important to our Christian faith, to um, what we believe about uh, God and what he has done for us, and they really speak uh, sort of the essentials of, uh, of, of our relationship to God. Grace and peace. So this morning, as you, if you'd open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, and I want us to have these two words in mind today as we come to the communion table, grace and peace. We're also uh, just doing a short series on uh, names for God or names of uh, places in the Bible that were named after God. And we're going to see that this morning in this story from the Judges. Uh, the book of Judges, if you uh, took time to read the entire thing and what we teach our young people in our Bible instruction class, and uh, we, as we teach the Old Testament, that what we find in Judges, we call the Judges Cycle. And you'll find the book of Judges, first of all, the, the word judge is a little bit misleading in that when I think of a judge, I think of, for example, a couple of weeks ago when we voted and I voted for judges. I think of a judge uh, sitting at a bench making a decision. The judges in Israel are, might be better thought of as military leaders or military reformers. They also made judgments for the people, but they were basically a leader who led the people and led them to victory over their enemies. But the word judges is what the word is used in the original and is, is, and is stuck. But I just want you to, to remember that. And you have a cycle in the book of Judges. You have a cycle of where the people sin. And the sin almost always takes the form of uh, idolatry, of worshiping, building false idols. Oftentimes the two that are primarily noted are Baal and Ashtra, a male and a female, uh, god and goddess of the, of the Near East. They build altars to them, and they worship Baal along with worshiping Yahweh or Jehovah and all many of the other gods they worshiped as well. 
and they forget their God, and they, they become uh, sinful and, 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 and worshiping this other God. And then because of their sinfulness and they're abandoning their God, and the, the, they were supposed to worship only God, God then sends an uh, enemy to defeat them or to enslave them, to overcome them. And then the third part of the cycle is the people all of a sudden get to the point where they're so desperate they cry out to God for salvation. And then God sends a judge to lead them, to help them in victory over their enemies. And then there is a time of peace and restoration. And then the cycle starts over again. And this is what happens in the book of Judges. So each of those judges, you know, Barak, uh, Samson, Gideon, Deborah, all these different, Ehud, all these different judges, this is the cycle you see over and over again. And this is, this is the story of the book of, book of Judges. It's the cycle. And it's kind of a downward cycle, though, as it continues to spin out of control uh, until we get to the next phase of Israel's history with, with uh, Samuel and then to the, to the kingdom. And so this is the story. And we come into Judges chapter 6. And so you see this. After, after um, chapter 5, in fact, if you look at chapter 5, you'll see the song of Deborah. And you'll see the, the, the victory um, over their enemies. And then they have, uh, at the end of chapter 5, then the land had peace for 40 years. For 40 years, a generation, they had peace and security and safety. But again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. And because the power of the Midian was so oppressive, and then he goes on to describe how they were hiding in their own land and how they would plant crops and prepare for the harvest, and the Midianites would come and wipe them out. It says they came, like a, in verse 5, like a swarm of locusts. And, 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 and they were so impoverished, they, they were so beaten down, and it says in chapter 6, that finally they cried out to the Lord. So you see this cycle. They cry out to the Lord. And when the Israelites cried to the Lord, verse 7, because of Midian, he sent them a prophet and the prophet says to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now you're slaves again, but I brought you out of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from before you and I gave you their land. I said to you, and this is, of course, the key thought. This is the key call to Israel. I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So God sends a prophet to announce this to Israel. This is why you're having trouble. This is why you're enslaved. This is why your enemies are beating you down. Is because you have refused to follow me and you have traded worship of me for the worship of the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of the Midianites and the Amorites. And so we come in verse 11. The angel of the Lord. Now remember last week uh, we talked about uh, Abraham and uh, Hagar and uh, Sarah and Hagar and the angel of the Lord, Hamalak uh, Adonai, Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. And I suggested to you that in the Old Testament, and, and traditionally the Christian interpretation of this has been that this angel of the Lord is God himself. And that's because we see qualities and characteristics that only God would have, like forgiving sin, ascribed to this angel. So we know it's more than just uh, an angel, like a created angel. It is, it is God himself. And what I believe, and, and, and oftentimes you'll find in, in, the, in the Protestant tradition, Christian tradition, the belief that this is Jesus Christ, second person in the Trinity. But we certainly see 
deity ascribed, and we'll see this again in this story. We'll see this. This angel of the Lord, same one that came to Hagar, we looked at last week, came and sat down under the oak tree at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon, and I want you to know what he's doing, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And that should tell you something right away, right? I'm not a farmer, but I recognize you generally don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You press grapes in a wine press. And he's in there obviously hiding, trying to preserve the little bit of wheat they have for food. He's hiding, trying to preserve this from their enemies who keep coming in and stealing and taking everything that they plant and everything that they harvest. And so he's in this wine press hiding, trying to beat out the wheat so they can make some food for his family. And Gideon, who's, uh, Gideon's name in, in the Hebrew would be pronounced Gideon, uh, his name means hacker, hacker. Now, we probably wouldn't name our kid hacker, right? Um, you know, if you're, a, if you're a fine carpenter and craftsman, you wouldn't want me known as a hack, right? Um, if you played basketball like I, I did throughout my life, and I played in the middle, I played center, back when teams actually had centers, <laughs> and uh, um, sometimes I was known as a hack because uh, if you keep fouling everybody, you're called a hack, okay? And then, of course, today a hacker would be one who compromises your computer uh, security. Uh, but that's what the word means, hacker. But if you're Paul Bunyan, that's a good name, right? Because that's what it means. You can hack down trees. You can take things apart. And this man's Gideon, his name was Hacker. And Gideon is in the wine press. Threshing his wheat, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, the angel said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, you know, I have a little sense of humor when I read this. I can imagine Gideon hiding from his enemies, trying to, to, to beat out wheat in the wine press, and the angel says, Hail, you mighty warrior. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine Gideon kind of looking around? You know, <laughs> you know who's, he, who's he talking to? Uh, but, but God announces to him, and of course, we're not going to cover the whole story of Gideon today, but you know what happens. This is the great story of Gideon and the 300 men who, do, who completely defeat their enemies um, by the power of God. And he becomes a great warrior. But at this point, uh, he is not a great warrior. God addresses him as, su as such. And, and, and look at uh, verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, now, so this is the actual physical presence. This is a, this is a we call it a theophany. If it's, a, if it's the angel of the Lord, it's God appearing in, in human form. So there's an actual appearance of a person there, of a human there, in appearance. And he says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, and he has put us into the hand of Midian. Now, I want to suggest to you that um, you may have your own opinions of Gideon, and, and, it's, and it may be partly formed by what happens later on. He's, he's quite a, a soldier and leader of renown because of what he does and how God uses him. But I frankly see a bit of cynicism in this. My, you know, God is going to, if God is with us, then why are we in, why are we in this shape? Why are, why are the, our enemies overrunning us? Why am I beating thresh and threshing wheat in a wine press? If, if God, didn't God promise that when we came to this land, we would always have a harvest? 
we would always be healthy, we would always be victorious, that God would always be with us. Didn't he promise us those things? Well, Gideon has a bit of selective memory here because he knows the stories, right? I mean, he says here, um, didn't, this is what our fathers had told us about. But what he leaves out is the critical part, going back to Deuteronomy, where God says, if you obey me, I will bring all these blessings on you. All you have to do is obey me. But if you forget me, and if you go off worshiping after foreign gods, then this is what's going to happen. And what is happening is exactly what God predicted would happen. And in fact, already in the book of Judges, the cycle has happened more than once where they should have got this message. So, so Gideon, I want to suggest to you, has a bit of, I think it's a little cynical, a little bit of selective memory here. Well, if, this, if, if God's with us, then why are, why are we going through this? This is not the way it's supposed to be. But you notice the Lord doesn't, and you notice it does say, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said. So here you've got this angel of the Lord all of a sudden becomes the Lord. So that's why we think it is God himself in, in a theophany, in human form, because all of a sudden it's God speaking. And you notice God doesn't reprimand him. God doesn't challenge him. God doesn't correct him. God doesn't get angry with him. God doesn't say, well, wait a minute, Gideon, aren't you forgetting something here? What are, you, what are you talking about? You know why you're going. In fact, as you read this chapter, you'll find Gideon's own family has, has, has the astra poles, has, the, has the, 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 the idols in their own courtyard that they are worshiping. And at the very end of the story, after Gideon has accomplished this great victory, and we come to the end of Gideon's life, we're going to find Gideon collects from the people, gold and silver melts it down and builds an altar that becomes a snare to Israel. It's part of the judge's cycle. But God in his graciousness, God in his graciousness and his care for his people instead simply says to Gideon in verse 14, he turns to him and says, Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I, not, am I not sending you? I mean, you have to see the grace of God here. God is not obligated to do this for Israel. God has warned them. They've already been down this road in the book of Judges. And yet, God in his graciousness comes to his people and he offers once again to save them. He offers once again to send someone to help them and to bring them redemption and to overcome their enemies, because God is a gracious God. I'm sending you. Verse 15, the Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? God is going to save Israel, not Gideon. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. God, you picked the least likely person to do this. Now, this is a pattern we see throughout Scripture, right? Of all, of all the people chosen as an apostle to herald God's message of grace to the Gentile world, who was the least likely person to receive that? Saul of Tarsus. Paul says to the Corinthians, look around. Look around your church. Where are, all the, where are the mighty and powerful? They're not here. God has chosen the foolish things of this world 
to confound the wise, to bring his message of grace and hope. This is what God does. This is why you and I are here today. This is why we're here today. Because this God of grace does this on purpose. And he says, and Gideon says, I'm not worthy. I'm the least. My family's nothing. My clan is nothing. And I'm nothing. And God says to him, verse 16, I will be with you. You will strike down all the Midianites together. I mean, this is impossible. There is no army. There is no Jewish or Israeli army. The army is called when it's needed. It is gone. There's no army. There's no commanders. There's you know, the weapons. They are a slave people. They are beat down by the Midianites. They are oppressed. They're beating wheat in a wine press to get a little bit of grain to eat. There is nothing. And God says, you are going to win a great victory. You are going to defeat the enemies of my people because God is a gracious God. Verse 17, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Now, if you know the story of Gideon, you know this is not the first time, this is not the only time he asked for a sign. That Gideon demands of God. He said, I think I know who you are. I think, this is, I think this is the Lord talking to me. But if it's really you, I want you to prove it. I want you to do a sign for me. I want you to do something. Remember they said the same thing of Jesus. Do something. To, to prove to us, you know, then the Pharisees and scribes, they came, do something to prove to us that you are, and Jesus says, no sign is going to be given you except that of, of, of Jonah, of, of, of Noah, and, and, and of Jonah and the whale, three days. You know, build this, destroy this temple, I will raise it up again. These are the signs you're going to get. They demanded a sign of him. Give us a sign. Give us something. And, and, and Gideon says, Lord, prove it. Show it to me. Show me that you really are who you're talking about. And God in his graciousness, God in his graciousness, you notice there's no anger, there's no rebuttal, there's no where's your faith. I, I chose you, okay, that's it. I'm gonna, there's other people I can use. I'll use this person instead. God in his graciousness says to Gideon, I'll be here. Go ahead. I will wait for you. I will wait until you return. And Gideon goes. In verse 19, he prepares a young goat. Now again, like we talked about Abraham, this takes a while. To prepare a goat for a sacrifice, it takes a while. But he goes and prepares a young goat. And from an ephah of flour, flour, he makes bread uh, without the yeast. He puts the meat in a basket. He brings its broth in a pot. He brings it out and he offered it to him there under that oak tree where the Lord is evidently still standing there waiting, patiently, graciously waiting for Gideon to bring his sacrifice because he wants a sign from God that it's really him. And then the angel of the Lord, the angel of God said to him, and it's actually the angel of God here, of Elohim, the angel of God said to him, take the meat, the unleavened bread, put them on this rock, Pour out the broth, meaning pour it out on them so they're wet. And Gideon did so. And with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flamed, fire erupted, fire broke out from the rock 
which does not catch on fire. And the fire exploded from this rock and it consumed the meat and the bread. I can just see this explosion of fire and all of a sudden it's gone and it's a smoking pile of just ashes maybe and it's gone and the angel's gone. The angel is gone. He's gone. He disappeared. And then verse 22, Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord. It really was who he said he was. And notice what he says. Ah, Lord. Oh, sovereign Lord. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Meaning what? I'm, I'm dead. I, I've seen God. I've seen the angel of God, and, I, and I'm still here. I've seen him face to face. I've seen his face. But the Lord says to him, you notice it doesn't say the Lord appeared again. It doesn't say the angel appeared. It just says God spoke to him. God spoke to him. Maybe the angel was there again. Maybe it was just a voice. But the angel speaks to him and says, Gideon, peace, shalom. You know that word, shalom. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Yes, you've seen the Lord face to face somehow, but I'm going to give you peace, grace and peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord. He builds an altar, and he gives it a name and calls it Yahweh or Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And to this day, as this book of Judges was written years later, it still stood in Ophrah, the God of peace. You know, I love this, this account. This, this is so typical in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible of our God, a God of grace and mercy. These, these people did not deserve this. Gideon didn't deserve this. Gideon had the arrogance to ask for a sign when it was God speaking to him, and God did it. He allowed Gideon to see him face to face, to see the angel of God. Think of that when this was over and realized this was God standing. This is the God of the universe, the God of our fathers, the God that I, I, I've heard about from our fathers, who is standing right here in front of me. And I looked at him. I questioned. I asked for a sign. I even had a little cynicism, I think, about why is this happening to us. And I'm here to live and, and to tell about it. And, and God's grace and God's peace, that he didn't destroy me, and he has called me to serve him. And the story goes on, and Gideon serves the Lord in a, in a powerful and a wonderful way. And that wonderful story, the 300 soldiers that delivered Israel from the hand of their enemies, grace and peace. As we come to the communion table this morning, as we come here as the people of God, and think of what God has done for us. And I want us to think about these two words today. Two words that are such a part of our Christian vocabulary that um, they can almost seem trite if, if we're not careful. If we're not careful. Because we're so used to it. But in Ephesians chapter 2, But God... Because of his great love, in chapter 2 and verse 4, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. Why are you here today? 
Why are you here today? Because you deserve it? Because you figured it out? Because you lived well enough? Because you chose God? Or are you here today because God chose to love you? God chose to show his graciousness to a people, to an individual who deserves it no more than these people during the time of the judges deserved it. But God has raised us up with Christ, seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show, listen, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, to you, to me, in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved. Grace is the story of God's dealing with men and women throughout the history of the Bible. We are told over and over again, He is a God of grace. And even the book of Judges is a book of the grace of God. And our story this morning as we come and celebrate communion together, and I'm going to ask the elders to come forward at this time. And we're going to, if the elders will come up, the elders, the shepherds of this flock, and we are here to serve because of God's grace. And as we come this morning to share the bread, the bread is simply a reminder to us that Jesus Christ's body was broken because God chose to love us. And God chose to be gracious to us when we didn't deserve it. And we are nobodies. I am a nobody. But God chose to love me. And the bread that we are going to share together is a memorial of God's grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We're going to distribute this and ask you just to hold it for a moment. And as you hold it, you can meditate on God's graciousness to you. And then we will eat together. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that God gave this to him to give to the church. The night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he passed it out to his disciples and he said, take eat, this is my body which is given for you. And we eat this bread in remembrance of Christ's body, his sinless, perfect, precious body that was broken and battered, that was pierced, and nailed to a cross where he died to show God's graciousness, God's grace to you and to me. Let us eat together. Lord, I thank you for your grace, for your amazing grace that has brought us into a relationship with you as our Heavenly Father, as members of your church, the body of Jesus Christ. The reason we sing of the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary, because the Bible makes it clear, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Gideon saw God and lived to tell about it, but he knew it was the grace of God that allowed him to, to live. And because of that, he built an altar and called it Jehovah Shalom, the peace of God. 
God is peace. Now think of Romans chapter 5 as we come to receive the cup together. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God. What does that mean to you? And the Bible tells us that in our natural state, we are at enmity, we are at hostile to God. And that's because of sin. You know, I, I wonder if we really were to stop and contemplate. You know, we've had two funerals. We had a funeral Thursday, memorial service, and we have one this Tuesday. Sort of a different age spectrums. But we are all going to pass from this life in the presence of God. That's a reality. And you know, if, if you and if I really contemplated, what would it be like to actually stand before a holy and a righteous God whom the Bible says he is so intrinsically holy and righteous? There is no darkness that can dwell in him if I had to stand before God, stand before God in my sin, knowing what I know about myself, knowing what you know about yourself, to stand before a holy and a righteous and a pure God who could not accept sin into his heavenly presence, and what would I plead? What would I say? What would I ask? What would I beg from him for eternal life with him or eternal death away from him in punishment? What would I plead? The Apostle Paul tells us, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful today as I come and share this little cup of juice that's just a little cup of grape juice, but it's there to simply remind me that Jesus Christ shed his blood to pay for my sin. So right now, I'm at peace with God, even in my humanity even in my imperfections, I am at peace with God and I do not have to fear that day that I will be cast away because of my sin for I am at peace with God. And I invite you today, friends, as the ushers come and we're going to share the cup together, if perchance there is someone here today and you have to honestly say, you know what, I don't know if I'm at peace with God. I don't, know what, I don't know what my plea will be when I stand before God. And if your plea, if you think your plea before God on that day when you stand before him is that's because your good outweighed your bad, it is still bad. And God is perfect and just and holy and beautiful. 
And he has made a way for you to be cleansed of your sin and to have peace with God and have that security and that truth that you will spend eternity with him in the glorified resurrection and to serve him for all eternity. You can have that peace by saying yes to Christ and receiving Christ as your Savior today, acknowledging your need for salvation, and say, Lord, I wish to receive Christ's payment for my sin and have that peace with God. You can have that today. We have peace with God. You know, we don't have a lot of uh, liturgy at our church, but this is something that we do uh, on a regular basis, and I hope it's meaningful to you. Uh, we do it sort of the same way every time, and our elders and uh, today's staff and uh, leaders of our church uh, serve you because they are your servants, and we're here to serve you. And I hope that this is a time of reflection and worship. And you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the night he was betrayed, um, when he broke the bread and shared the cup, he also said this to his disciples. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to my Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus promised his disciples, I will come back for you. He promised the nation of Israel, I will return. And the book of Revelation clearly tells us that he is coming back. There will be judgment. There will be a glorious kingdom. He will return. But he also tells us in his epistles that he is coming back for us. I will return. Peace. Shalom. The God of peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We have peace with God. Let us drink a memory of the blood of Jesus Christ, which is the only source of that peace with God. Amen. If you're here today, you know Christ the Savior, and you really believe that. Precious name. Oh, how sweet. The name of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. If that's true, would you please say amen? Amen. God is good. God is so good to us. You know, and this is a wonderful time of year. Thanksgiving, I love the Thanksgiving season. Uh, you don't have to buy anybody presents. You just have to make a nice meal and enjoy it and give thanks to God and enjoy your family and friends. And listen, next Sunday, our annual Thanksgiving dinner is really a highlight of our church calendar. It's a great time to just enjoy a meal together, to fellowship, spend time. We have a short program of praise and thanksgiving. Next Sunday at 5 o'clock, please get your ticket today. Sign up. We want you there. If you're visiting, if you're new here today, anything, well, I don't really, come on, join us. Be my guest. Come and join us for Thanksgiving dinner, but we want you to sign up so we can know how many to prepare for. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today that with all of our failings, with our human nature, uh, Lord, uh, we can have peace with you. And we have been saved only 
by your grace through faith. And it is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works that any of us could boast about. And we leave this place today, Lord, not as a broken people. We leave here as a people who are seated in the heavenlies, as a people who have been forgiven of all of our sins, of a people who are at peace with you, as a people who have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, as a people who have been empowered by you in our human condition to leave this place and to live a life that pleases you, to live a life that shows to others that you indeed have shed your love abroad in our hearts. May this week, may we be testimonies of your grace, your mercy, and your shalom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.